1: Love it, it matters how you and I live out our Christian life and our testimony. It matters to the one who's redeemed us because by our lives, by our words, by our actions, we bring glory to his name or we dishonor the very Lord who saved us. We either live our lives for his glory or we live our lives in dishonor of who he is. It also matters to the world around us because the testimony of our lives more often than not is much louder than the words of our lives.
0: Today, Pastor David reminds us that it matters how we live out our Christian testimony. It matters to the one who redeemed us. Jesus cares how we look to others in this world. If our lives look exactly like those around us, then his death on the cross was in vain. It also matters to those around us who do not have Christ and are heading into an eternity apart from God. Therefore, how you live out your testimony on this earth should matter to you. Are you being used by God and bold for the gospel? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, part 2 of today's message, Our Glory and Joy.
1: Paul didn't claim or didn't use his position as an apostle of the Lord, insisting that within the church. No, he came in again speaking the word of God in truth. He was able to speak that word. He was able to share with the people of that region and and the, 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 the simplicity of that love and that hope that's found in the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven, he says, "'We were gentle among you, "'just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, "'so affectionately longing for you. "'We were well pleased to impart to you "'not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, "'because you had become dear to us.'" We read in the book of Acts that Paul wasn't able to spend a great deal of time there in Thessalonica. Three Sabbaths he ministered there at the synagogue For a short time after that, ministered at the house of Jason until the non-believing Jews from Philippi came down and brought further persecution to them. But in that short time, there was this deep bond that came about with the church. He uses these words, affectionately longing, that you're so dear to us. Paul and that ministry team understood and there was a connection there. And Paul used the opportunity for that short window of time to do an abundant amount of ministry. Look what he says in verse nine. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Every opportunity, I believe, during that time, every opportunity that he had, Paul presented the hope of the gospel. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. Paul understood that, the way that he lived his life mattered when he's trying to present the reality and the truth of the gospel. He goes on, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul lived his life in such a way and he called for the church to live their life in such a way that it would bring honor and glory to Christ, whatever the situation that they fell into. If you fall into great persecution because of your faith, live your life, receive that persecution, work through that trial in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Because the world would be looking at them, the world would test them to see the validity of their faith. That's the same idea that he shared with the church in Ephesus when he told the church there in Ephesus. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk with all lowliness. Walk with gentleness, walk with long suffering, walk bearing with one another in love, walk endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is telling us that the way that we live our lives in good times and in bad times, in times of, of, of great prosperity and times of great struggle that the way that we live our lives is a testimony to the world. It's not just the message of the gospel, it's the life of the gospel that people need to see. They need to hear the message, but they need to see it lived out in you. That's why he told the Church of Colossia, he told them, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthening with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? long suffering, but with joy. Love it, it matters how you and I live out our Christian life and our testimony. It matters to the one who's redeemed us because. By our lives, by our words, by our actions, we bring glory to his name or we dishonor the very Lord who saved us. We either live our lives for his glory or we live our lives in dishonor of who he is. It also matters to the world around us because the testimony of our lives more often than not, is much louder than the words of our lives. And the testimony of our lives, as I've shared with you on multiple occasions, is a witness of the reality of God and his faithfulness to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile humanity to himself through faith in Christ. We live that out for the world to see, or... We don't live it out. And the world figures Christianity is a sham. It matters to the one who's redeemed us. It matters to the world around us. But beloved, it also matters to the well-being of our own lives, both here on earth as well as our position and place in glory for all eternity. Jude tells us that there's going to be some that are saved, literally pulled out of the fire at the last moment. You know, there's not much of a reward with that kind of a life. Are there deathbed confessions that are real and true? Absolutely. But there's not much of a reward because all of that life prior to that time has been lived in rejection of God. Paul tells us also that that the work of, of many Is simply gonna be burned up because it's been worthless. Maybe you're one who has lived their life and doing a multitude of good works, but when that work is tried, is it gonna be gold, silver, and precious stone, or is it going to be wood, hay, and stubble? Has it been done truly for the honor of the Lord, or has it been done, again, just to demonstrate or to show, hey, I'm like a really religious person here. Look at all I'm doing. You see, if it's for our own glory, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's worthless. And if our works on earth are worthless, Paul says, yeah, they themselves will be saved, and yet though as through fire. Some are saved at the last minute being pulled from the fire. Some as believers showing or demonstrating in some way or form a tremendous amount of works, but all with selfish and internal reasoning rather than giving the Lord glory again saved through fire I believe that there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that smell like smoke (laughs) because there's not been intentional living to give God glory within their lives they've received the salvation he gives and yet they continually choose to live their own design and purpose As believers, each and every one of us are called to walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. And that's that process, again, in the midst of that, in the midst of you and I living our lives in in, in giving glory to God. There is a great possibility, there's a growing probability that you're gonna receive some sort of persecution because of it. I mean, look at the world around us. Right now, we are, we are living in a, in, a, in a protective bubble over these years as, as a nation. To be able to come into a, a meeting room like this, to be able to come at any point in any time, not under the, the, the disguise or the covering of night, not, not making our way through alleyways to meet in some secluded room, We can go on the streets. We can go pray in front of schools. We can go and speak the the reality of the truth of the gospel in the parks. We have that great, great freedom to speak the word of God anywhere at any time and by and large, the church is not speaking it at all. We have a great opportunity to declare it always, but unfortunately, Too often, we don't declare it at all. People of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, they they received the gospel and their lives were changed. There was a definite change within their lives. The gospel had been completely successful in, in producing that desire, that intended result that God had planned for them. Look at verse 13. Paul says for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men but as in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. When the people of Thessalonica got saved, they actually began acting and living out their lives as the church as a very body of Christ active in the world that was around them and it made a difference and being being in the world but yet not a part of the world system because they took upon themselves that true nature of Christ, you better believe they faced a lot of opposition. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, for you, brethren, you became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. They no longer fit in the world that they lived in because now the church in Thessalonica, they were no longer citizens of Thessalonica. Their citizenship was in heaven. And so then we see that the very citizens of Thessalonica rose up against them. The Gentiles came against them because they proclaimed that there's only one God who saves, not this multitude of gods, gods that you've made with your own hands, but there is only one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, that was a sacrifice for you and you need to commit your life to him and not these dumb idols. And because of that, the Gentiles rose up against them. The Jews rose up against them because they declared that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. The hope of, again, all the nation of the nation of Israel being Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But you know what? The Jews, by and large, did not want to receive Christ because he came as a suffering servant. He didn't free them from the bondage and then the oppression of the Romans. They were looking for a mighty king. They didn't understand that there first needed to be a sacrifice for their sins before that mighty king could truly reign and rule complete for them. The Jews were so against the message of the gospel that they tried to prevent that message of even reaching the ears of the Gentiles. Beloved, it is bad enough when an individual rejects the gospel. Their condemnation is there before them. But when that individual also begins to interfere with the preaching and the declaration of the gospel for someone else, then even a greater condemnation comes upon them. Verse 17, we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. This is an interesting declaration for Paul to say, we wanted to come back to you. They're down in Corinth at this point in time. That's where the book is written just down the shoreline, a few hundred miles away. He said, we wanted to come back to you, but Satan hindered us. Well, if you remember, again, the events of this particular missionary journey, when they were up in the area of Asia, Paul said, man, we wanted to go up into Asia and proclaim the gospel. We wanted to go to Bithynia and proclaim the gospel. But the Holy Spirit hindered us. Well, how did he tell the difference between the Holy Spirit hindering him and Satan hindering him? Well, again, you look at that and there's no written record of what the opposition was in either one of these cases. It could have been physical illness. It could have been you know further threats from the Jews. We just don't know. But I think it's very interesting to note that Paul himself felt very strongly that one was a hindrance of the Holy Spirit. This other one is a hindrance of Satan himself. I believe that it's because he knew in hindsight that that was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brought us to this place in Macedonia to be able to proclaim the word of God. And in hindsight, he's able to write here, man, we wanted to go to you, but there were so many things that blocked us. That wasn't the spirit of God that blocked us. That was the enemy himself. You know, sometimes there's walls and barriers in our in our lives. We try to move forward in the things of the Lord and in our own individual lives, or our families, or our ministries. And sometimes it is difficult to figure, man. What is? Why is this so hard? Is this God saying, "Don't go this way because I have something else"? Or is this the enemy trying to block what God wants to do on the other side of this? How do I tell the difference? Whether it's a wicked device of the enemy or a challenge and a redirection from the Lord. I believe it brings us back to the Proverbs chapter three verses five and six verse about committing all our ways to the Lord and he'll direct our paths. I have a copy of the, uh, the Bible version, The Message by Eugene Peterson. I, I don't preach out of it. I don't study out of it. But it is kind of interesting to look at it sometimes because, again, he brings out some different things. Look how Eugene Peterson in The Message presents Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust God from the very bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the one that'll keep you on track. And then I like what he says at the beginning of verse seven. Don't assume that you know it all. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Oh, that's the devil. Well, is it really the devil? Maybe God is saying, not here, not now. So we need to back off and say, Lord, I'm just committing my way to you. You direct my path. I I, I try to make plans, but Lord, I want you to direct my path. Paul had heard from Timothy that the church there in Thessalonica, that they were doing really good. Once they got to Corinth, he had sent Timothy back to them, but Paul wasn't able to go. Timothy came back with a good report, and thus the letter of 1 Thessalonians. That's why Paul writes in verse 19, he says, for what is our hope, our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul realized that even through all the persecution and all the trials, all the suffering that went with proclaiming the gospel, both in Philippi and Thessalonica, that God had moved on the hearts of the people of Thessalonica. He says, man, you guys, praise God for you because I see in you God's hand working and moving. It's exciting to look back over years of ministry, seasons of ministry, sometimes even days of ministry, and see God's hand that has worked in people's lives. You see lives that have been changed. Oh, some get changed suddenly. I mean, it's like an overnight, bam, their, their life has totally changed. Others, you see the process of that working of the Spirit of God within their lives. I can tell you, and for any of you that have done any kind of ministry, you know what a blessing that is to look back and say, wow. Okay, it's not good English, but it's true. You look back and you say, ain't God good? Because you know it's not the minister. It's the work of God in their lives. That's why the apostle John wrote to the church in Third John, he writes, he says, oh, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And beloved, as you and I walk in obedience and in faithfulness, there's no doubt there's going to be times of attack, trying to discourage us, to distract us, to to dissuade us from continuing on in accomplishing God's plan and purposes in our lives. But I want you to remember the words of the Apostle Paul even as he writes to the church of Thessalonica. Think also of the words of Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter is a a pastor and a writer, a Puritan pastor and writer from the 1600s. Listen to his words. And God himself will have his servants and his graces tried and exercised by difficulties. He never intended us the reward for sitting still, nor the crown of victory without a fight, nor a fight without an enemy and opposition. If we live our lives fully for Christ, there will be opposition, there will be trials. There is great peace, great freedom that we have right now in this country, but yet many of you already know There's pushback. And beloved, should the Lord tarry, I believe the pushback will get greater. Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to stand faithful even as those in Kyrgyzstan and China, these multitude of others that I could have shared with you this morning are willing to stand for their faith amidst the attack, the physical, emotional, spiritual attack of a real and true enemy. Where is your faith? Is it in the comfort and the ease or is it in the reality and the truth of the suffering of a Savior on our behalf to forgive us of our sin and so we die daily for him? That's the call of Christ for each one of us.
0: We're so glad you took time today to listen to The Open Word, but even more so that you chose to open your heart to the truth of the Bible. If you want to study further in Pastor David's series in 1 Thessalonians, you'll be able to do so at our website, theopenword.com. Just click Teachings at the top of the page to find our library of past messages. You're welcome to download them for free, share them with your friends and family, or just listen right there online. While you're at our website, you'll be able to learn more about Pastor David and why he has such a great passion for sharing the truth of the gospel through the ministry of the open word. Pastor David is the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and he'd like to extend you a personal invitation before our time is up today.
1: Oh, absolutely. We here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we've got a seat waiting for you at our worship services. Come by on Saturday or Sunday or even Wednesday if you like, and we guarantee you'll meet some smiling faces and discover more about Jesus. We're nothing special as a church, just a diverse group of Jesus-loving people who delight in the challenge of the truth of God's Word. Come as you are, you'll fit right in. You'll be able to find out more about us when you visit our website, theopenword.com.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. That website again once more is theopenword.com. Just follow the link to our church's homepage. With that, our time has officially run out today. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Thessalonians, so join us next time on The Open Word.